If you've been with us for the last number of weeks, you know that we're in the middle of a message series right now. It's called The Power Of. And in The Power Of, there's a, you know open space or a blank line underneath there, and we're filling that in with other th- different things each week, different words, principles, precepts from the Word of God. But listen, the whole kind of summarization, if you will, of this message series is that we are created to live a life of power. We are created to live in a way that is more in alignment with the kingdom that's in heaven than a kingdom that's in this world. The Bible says that when we become born again, we become citizens of a different kingdom, a heavenly kingdom. And so if that's the case, then yes, we're in this world, we know that, but we're not to be of this world as Jesus commanded. So when we walk in this world, we're actually to walk according to the principles of a different kingdom than what this world would have us to believe. So when we live more in line with what heaven says about who we are and what God has given us, then we're actually living from a place of power that is transforming and changing the world around us as we know it. We can collide with a worldly environment, an enemy, a foe who rules over this world, the devil, and we can introduce the realities through faith of a different kingdom that we are citizens of. And as we do that, then the truth and the principles, the power of that kingdom flows in and through our lives and subdues or overcomes whatever it is that the world would try to bring against us. Jesus likens the kingdom of heaven in many places. In one particular place, he likens it to a strong man who comes and then another stronger than him comes upon him, subdues him, and overcomes him. And then the weaker man is not able to operate anymore. So the kingdom of heaven is the stronger man. When Jesus came into this world, he brought the kingdom of heaven with him. He brought brought the reign, the power, and the authority of that kingdom, and he introduced that into the kingdom of this world. And then after he suffered and died and rose again, he gave us his Holy Spirit so that the full reign of the kingdom of heaven would live on the inside of us. So now we can actually live from a place of power and authority that's in alignment with heaven's kingdom, but do it in the way where we're doing it in this world so that this world continues to be overturned, subdued under our feet in the place where it properly belongs. You have that authority. I have that authority. But many times we see, even in the church, where people will come to know Christ, they'll choose to follow God, but they'll live their life in such a way where it's powerless. They're actually living more like they're still citizens of the world and its rules and principles then they are actually living in line with heaven's principles. So there, there can be a very dry, powerless type of life, where as the Bible refers to, people are really led to and fro and astray and tossed around just like the waves of the sea. That's not the life of a child of God. That's not the picture we have. It's a steady, steadfast, straightforward, powerful life that's bringing transformational change into the world that we live in. That transformational change is coming from a place of power. The Bible says, as we've mentioned many times in Ephesians 3, verse 20, that God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we can think or ask according to the power that works in us. So the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of us, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, 
lives in us, so the full power, the full capacity of the kingdom of heaven is actually living on the inside of us, which ought to be producing an outflow of that power that's changing our entire life, every landscape, every scenery that we walk in as we know it. And that's our heart here in this message series, is to take things like we have in prayer, uh, the power of prayer. Or our thoughts, the power of thoughts, different principles, and say, okay, what does the Bible say about this, and what does it look like to live in this way in a place of power? What does a powerful prayer life look like? What, are, what is thinking powerfully and the way that God, with the mind of Christ, what does that look like? And we've broke that down. So today, we're going to talk about the power of grace, the power of grace. And somebody should have already shouted about that, but that's okay. It's all right. You will in a minute, I promise. All right, so... The power of grace, and this is one of those things that is so huge, so big. The word grace, it's like you hear it all the time. It's so frequent in the Bible that sometimes things like that, it's almost like there's a, there's a danger in it getting kind of watered down or us just becoming numb to that and, and not really recognizing the power and the depth that's in that. So in the New Testament, I want you to think about this. The word grace that's used many times in the Greek is the word charis, charis, it starts with an X, so it's already cool, right, yeah, so charis, like church X, anyway, anyway. so <laughs> it means the unmerited, undeserved favor and blessing of God extended towards us, charis, now there's other points in the Bible where they take the root word and they just, Paul describes how people who are flowing in the gifts of the Spirit the power of God flowing through them in their supernatural gifts in their lives. And he says that it's, it's the unmerited, undeserved favor of God, grace, charisma, charisma. Isn't that interesting? How many people have heard of that word? I should get everybody's buy-in on that, right? Charisma or charismatic. So a lot of times we think in the English language, hey, somebody that has charisma is just somebody that's really attractive and really cool, you know, somebody like Pastor Matt, and we just think that, and I know, I know. It's a, uh, and so, but really, if you want to go back to the origin of the word in the meaning charisma, it means someone who is walking in such a way where the undeserved, unmerited favor and blessing and power of God is flowing through them in their life and flowing outwardly, changing things around them in such a way that there is an attraction to them because they see that God is doing something that couldn't be done in an earthly way. Isn't that amazing? So based on that definition, we ought to all have charisma, right? That's good. You guys are with it now. All right, we're warmed up. So in order to, to recognize, I think, this power of grace, the first thing we have to do is we have to understand how desperately we need it, how desperate we are for the undeserved, unmerited favor of God in our lives. Man is born into this world into a state of total depravity. Total depravity. It's sin. There is the condition of sin that we are born into this world in that we must be rescued from. The Bible says that there are none righteous. No, not any. It says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So despite what sometimes you might hear, and this is going to maybe rub against some people, but listen, sometimes people will think that man has like inherent good in him. 
that, you know, there's good in everybody. I understand the point, okay? I'm not trying to, like, say, go beat somebody over the head with your Bible on this one, but I want you to understand theology here. That's not biblical, okay? Man is not good. We are actually born evil and in a state of sin. We have to be rescued from the clutches and the bondages of that sin. How are we rescued from the clutches and the bondages of that sin? The saving grace of Jesus Christ. That's something, isn't it? So you have to recognize how desperate we are. But sin, even though it's powerful and it imprisons people who are born into this world and ensnares it in its clutches, it's not more powerful than grace. The Bible says where sin abounds, grace does abound much more. Again, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of the world. Stronger kingdom, overcomes, flips on in, subdues, puts under your foot. Right? So where sin abounds, grace does abound much more. When I understand how desperate I am for grace, I'm going to run towards it. And that's what we need to get. Now, just like anything, when people get a hold of something, you know, they can kind of take it too far. Take it to one extreme or another and steer it so hard that it, it actually goes beyond a place of truthfulness or accuracy. So some people who, even in the church, preach about grace will preach it so much in a way that they will give the impression that it just nothing else matters because you have grace. Meaning, because of grace, doesn't matter if I sin, doesn't matter if I screw up, doesn't really matter how I live because I have grace. So what, is it, what does it matter anymore? And, and so now, all of a sudden, we get into a place that is dangerous, that is not proper theology. Are you with me? And, and that's why you have to review scriptures. You have to look at the whole text, the context of all the scriptures. There's places where it talks about grace. But then James goes, comes along and says something like, hey, faith without works is dead. So yeah, grace is huge, but there's this idea that works is very important too. So if you steer so far in a direction that it's like it's all about grace and everybody's covered by grace, doesn't matter what you do, it's all good, then something is not clicked Something has not set in about the real full revelation of grace as the way the scriptures laid it out. Because let me tell you something. When you get a revelation of grace, you don't have to be convinced to live rightly. You don't have to be told. You don't have to be persuaded because you are compelled and convicted by the one in your heart, the Holy Spirit, to live from that point on in a way that's so thankful and so honoring to what the grace of God has done in your life already. You don't have to be forced to do that. Now, you could see people swing the opposite way, and they could say, well, it's all about works. You know, faith without works is dead, so it's all about works. It's about what you do. And then you get into another contaminating, condemning kind of theology. Has anybody been there or no, you know, where it says something like, man, if you don't do and you don't measure up, if you miss the mark this week, then it's almost like this picture of we're sliding in and out and from under the grace of God, in and out, in and out. And it's all about what we do to keep ourselves there. Wrong. That is not biblical. You can't do anything to earn it. You can't do anything to deserve it. Is work, are works important? Yes. We're going to talk about that in a second. But are works the thing that keep you under the grace of God? No. Undeserved, unmerited favor of God that flows into our lives simply because of the free gift of grace that comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. Is everybody with me so far? So you got so far on this side, so far on this side. No. In fact, 
Grace and works actually blend and marry perfectly together. And this is what I want you to see today. I feel like this is probably one of the most liberating types of messages that we can get from the scriptures is that we can see that in order to live the life that God has called us to live, to do good works and to do world-changing things, that the power to do that is not in you, is in yourself, it's in the one who lives inside of you. So think about this. Grace. The Bible talks about grace and righteousness many places. Righteousness can mean two things. It can mean right standing, which is your right position with God. The blood of Jesus saves you. You're restored back into relationship with him. You're in right standing with God. That's one way righteousness can be looked at and described. Another way that righteousness can be described is right living. Right living. Living in a way that aligns with the principles and, and the scriptures and what they compel and command us to do. Listen, saving grace. Grace comes in. It saves us from our condition of sin, and we are made into right standing with God. The same grace that saves you from the clutches of sin and bondage is the same grace that empowers you to live the life that you're called to live. Why is that so important? Because it says you can't do it on your own. Are you with me? You don't, it doesn't exist in you. You don't have the ability to do that. And that's why works can be so condemning because it can make us feel like we're constantly trying to measure up, but you will never hit the mark. The Bible says what the law could never accomplish, God sent his son to do. So if you try to use your deeds and your works to get you closer to God, you'll never, ever end up getting there. It's by the spirit of God that lives in you, the grace that flows into your life, that you are ever put in a position where you can have that relationship with God again. Isn't that something? The saving grace is the same grace that compels you and empowers you to live the life that you're called to live. Open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2, and I want to read for you how this grace and works marry together. Speaking of like works, you know, trying to earn your way. How many here have kids, right? And so when your kids, I mean, you want them to, to obey you. You want them to live and do the right things and, and respect your rules. And when they don't, you smack them around a little bit. But, you know, just kidding. Just kidding. Oh, we are recording right now, aren't we? Uh, I'm just kidding. All right. Spare the rod. Yeah, well, anyway. So when, the, when our kids don't do that, when they break our rules or they disobey us, do we love them less? Do, do, they, do they earn our love and stay in our favor because they're doing the right thing and then when they don't do the right thing, they come out from under it? No. And we're earthly mothers and fathers. Think about it. We have a heavenly father who loves us beyond what we can love our own children. And if that's the way we are with our own kids, how much more is God like that with us? Amen. So listen to this, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Let me just stop right there for a second. 
this is a side note message. It's a whole other message, but you got to get this. By grace, you've been saved through faith. You see, the power of grace saves, but faith precedes grace. Do you see that? You have to first believe that you have it. We know that the Bible says that you heard the word, so you hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You believe it, accept it by faith, and then the saving grace comes in and saves you from the law of sin and bondage. So faith precedes grace. So when we talk about empowering grace to live the life that you're called to live, right living, just like in right standing, you have to first believe you are who you are and you have what this says you have, which means you have to first heard it and then believe it. And then your faith can rest on that and grace can flow into your life to empower you to live that way. So thank you. Appreciate that. So um, by grace, through faith, you have been saved that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So just pausing for a second, clear, right? Works can do nothing for you. It can't help you. It can't save you. It can do nothing for you to earn anything from God whatsoever. It's very clear. You're not saved of works. It's the gift of God of grace, lest anyone should boast. Now listen to this in verse 10. For we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. It's like, wait a minute, okay, works means nothing, I'm saved by grace, there's nothing that works can do, and I'm created for good works. It's, it's almost like those two things were intentionally packaged together in that little verse to stand out and get us to dig deep and figure this out. Because if works mean nothing... And as far as being saved, and they do nothing to help us grow closer to God, why does he turn right around in the next verse and say, but you were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you would walk in. It's because grace and works actually marry together perfectly. It's when you look at that word good works, it means works that are supernaturally empowered by the favor of God that you could not ever accomplish in your own strength apart from that. Wow. So are works important? Yes. Are they a mark of a believer? Yes. Are they a part of what ought to be flowing out of our lives? Yes. But why is that happening? It's because of grace. Isn't that awesome? It's because of grace that we have the, it says you're created for good works. Strong, world-changing works ought to be coming out of strong, mature believers all the time. The world should be getting introduced to the realities of the kingdom of heaven every day because strong, mature believers are walking in faith and works are happening and the power of God is being introduced into this world and the kingdom of the world is being subdued on its end. That's, that's the mark we see. The, the church, let the church today rise up and get strong and everyone begin to walk in these works which God has prepared for them. But we must know. Folks, and we must understand that it's only because of the grace of God and the favor of God that flows into our lives, charisma, that we ever have the ability to do that and walk that out. But we are all called to that. We are all called to a great and mighty purpose, world-changing things. Jeremiah says, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know meaning you don't have the capacity to know this apart from God's Spirit revealing it to you, and you don't have the capacity to walk it out apart from God's Spirit empowering you to do that. It's by the grace of God that we can do that. 
Now listen, Paul makes this amazing statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let me just read this for you so you can get this for yourself. 1 Corinthians 15. Go there. All right. He says, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Now remember what I said. Right standing, right living. One grace. Remember that? Listen. I am what I am by the grace of God. I'm saved. I'm a child of God. My identity is secured because of God's grace. And then he follows that up with, I labored more abundantly than they all. It means I worked, I labored, I did deeds, I worked, I did all the things that I was called to do, not by my own strength, but by the grace of God. If you'll allow me to just paraphrase this, he's saying, I am what I am, right standing, by the grace of God, and I do what I do, right living, by the grace of God. Amen. Did you get that? Amen. Same grace, same grace. If you have the faith that God saved you and his grace has saved you, you ought to have the same faith that the grace of God empowers you to live righteously and live the life that you're called to of great and mighty works. Isn't that amazing? It's only by the Spirit of God that we can do that. The Bible says something else. It's one of these statements in Acts chapter 17, verse 28, that you, once you hear it, you can never go back. Like, you can't get away from this. This is so huge. It says, in him... We live and move and have our being. Does that blow you away or what? In him, we live and move and have our being. We live. That means we're made alive, spiritually speaking, zoe, life in the Greek. That's spiritual life. We're made alive in him, and we move. We go. We work. We do in him. It's by his strength, by his power, by his might, that anything that could ever come through our lives that is impactful and that is uh, in line with God's word, it's being done because the grace of God is flowing in and through us in order to allow us to accomplish that and walk that out. Hallelujah. Are you living under grace? Are you living under grace? Because if you're under grace, then the power of God ought to be flowing into your life every single day. You're going to come into situations, you need wisdom, you need discernment, you need knowledge, you need miracle, all things that are gifts of God that he gives. It says he dispenses them as he sees fit, when and how he chooses. You need something, God knows that. By grace, he will give it to you if there's faith in you to receive that. And you can't create that on your own. It's only by his power and his spirit that that can be introduced into your life. But I'm telling you right now, many times over now, in my years of walking with the Lord, I will just know things that I can't possibly, like natural knowledge hasn't taught me that. I will be thinking about something of what, how to handle a situation, and the wisdom of God will just come in, and I will never have been able to come up with that on my own. That is, that is the reality of a believer's life. That is what we ought to walk in. 
And that's what we need. And when we do that, we're actually now living more like citizens of heaven than we are like citizens of this world that would be restricted, confined, and imprisoned by the principles of this world that would say, no, no that stuff can't happen for you. You can't, that's not going to be. You're going to have to walk according to this. But he says, in him, we live and move and have our being. And one last one, where in Galatians chapter 5, Paul's talking about the fruits of the Spirit. And he says that as you live in the Spirit, which means as you've been made alive, born again by the Spirit of God, as you live in the Spirit, lest you also walk in the Spirit. That hit me one day. I was reading that. It blew me away. I'm like, wait a minute. This is amazing. I never saw this before. You can be made alive in the Spirit, but not necessarily walk in the Spirit. Whoa. Like, I can be born again, but I can still walk like I live in this world. I can actually, we, we are called to be made alive in the Spirit, but also walk in the Spirit. Right standing, right living. Grace, grace. Charisma, charisma. Are you with me? The empowering grace that comes in and saves our soul is the same grace that'll propel you to great works for God. That'll, and it's not about you anyway. It's not about us. It's about changing the world around us so that God can continue to be made famous and his kingdom can be expanded. Because if it's all about a heavenly kingdom, then it's about the power and the reign and the authority of that kingdom. We just happen to play a part in that. Amen? And the last thing I'll say is this. And you can come up here if you want, J.J., is he says, uh, God says to Paul in Corinthians, see, the reality of this desperation for this grace is huge, Re realizing I, I can't do anything on my own. God says to Paul, he says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength, get this, grace, is made perfect in your weakness. Hallelujah. Praise God. Our weakness, our inability to do anything righteous to please God. The Bible says it's impossible to please, without faith, it's impossible to please God. We have no ability to do anything righteous apart from God's grace actually enabling us to do that. But in our recognition of that and realizing that we desperately need his grace and we cling to that and we seek that, then actually the full power and strength of God is made known to us and to the world around us. Who wants to live like that every day? Amen? You're supposed to. We're supposed to. Stand to your feet with me today. Hallelujah. The power of grace. Once you get this, this revelation is deep down in your soul. Like I said, nobody needs to try to scare you into living the life that God has for you. Nobody has to try to force you. Nobody has to create rules for you to try to do it properly. You are compelled in your heart by a deeper source, by a deeper place of power. The Holy Spirit convicting you from the inside out. And that's the way it ought to be from the inside to the outside. Because if you try to do it on the outside and do things that make yourself right with God without having a transformation on the inside, you're always gonna come up short. That's why Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, you're like whitewashed tombs. 
all cleaned up and fancy, all bleached and nice on the outside, but inside there's death and decay and nothing living. We need grace on the inside so that grace can begin to flow on the outside of our lives. And it's the same grace that saves you that will empower you to walk that life out. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for each and every person that's here today. I thank you for speaking through me. I thank you for using me, God. And I ask that you would just sow this message deep in people's hearts. A revelation of your grace is so powerful and profound. I know the enemy doesn't want anybody to understand this or to know this, God. I pray against anybody that thinks that they're trying to live up to something for you. I break any false theology down right now in Jesus' name that people came in here with thinking that somehow they're going to earn your love or going to earn your favor. We tear that lie down right now in Jesus' name and we unleash, we release the truth of the revelation of grace in your word, God. It says we are who we are and we do what we do by the grace of God freely and unmerited in our lives. I ask right now, God, that you would just empower each and every person as we go out of here to live in a new place of power, authority. Help us to live consistently in alignment with your kingdom and not this world. Let many from this day and day on begin to frequently see the kingdom of heaven subdued under their feet in its proper place in submission to your will and to your word moving and flowing in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Listen, I just want to ask this one more time, one more question. If you could, just maybe bow your head for a second, just for a moment. If there's anybody here today, and you say, Pastor, I've felt God tugging at my heart this morning. I, I, maybe you've felt that before, and you've walked away from it. I don't know, maybe you've never felt this before. And you need to give your life to Christ. You need to receive that free gift of grace. Or maybe you've been in a past place walking with God and you've just have turned away and you're in a, a desolate place now where you've been trying to do this thing all on your own and you know God, the Spirit of God is telling you today, convicting you, you need to come back to Him, you need to begin to live your life in alignment with His will. If that's either one of those or you, would you just raise your hand right now so I can pray for you? I see your hand, sir. Is there anyone else? Just say, I need Christ today. I want to come back to Him or I want to give my life to Him. I want to surrender all, make Him Lord and Savior of my life. Just one more moment. Is there anybody here who said, I need that prayer? Yes, sir, I see your hand. Praise God. Yes, sir, I see your hand. Thank you for the boldness in this place. Thank you for the faith. Just a moment longer. Is there anyone else? Listen, this is the most important decision that you'll ever make. Eternity is in the balance. Do you need to give your life to Christ today? All right. Well, listen, if you prayed that prayer, I just want you to pray, or if you raised your hand, I just want you to pray with this prayer with me it's not about your words it's about your heart if you're seeking God genuinely and you're giving your life to him turning away from your old life and turning toward Jesus that he will come in he will meet you right where you are he will make you a new creation you'll be born again if, if you know God but you're coming back to him he'll meet you right where you are and restore you to a place of righteousness as he forgives you from any of those past sins say dear father God I give my life to you now I turn from my old ways and I turn to you. I'm going to live for you, God. I can't do it on my own. Jesus, come into my heart. Make me new. Give me the ability by your grace to live the life that you're calling me to live. Help me to run sin out of my life and help me to run to you, God. In Jesus' name today I pray.